Morena, and welcome to a sunny Wednesday morning in Wellington where it's level three for the first time in a couple of weeks. Unfortunately, of course, it is still level four in Auckland. I'm Bernard Hickey and this is the Dawn Chorus on the Kaka. Today I want to focus on what the government's doing and what the housing market is doing. Yesterday Grant Robertson told Parliament that the government had uh, given $1.25 billion in cash to business owners over the last two weeks to help them recover in the midst of these lockdowns. And uh, he says there is another $8 billion there in the kitty if required. This certainly is helping confidence. And we saw that in the ANZ Business Confidence Survey for August. Now, about 25% of the survey respondents uh, came back in the two weeks of the lockdown at the end of August. And according to ANZ, there was obviously a fall, but not nearly as hard or as fast as previous times because people know that they are being supported by the government and also by the housing market. Remember, I say that we have um, a housing market with bits tacked on for an economy. And uh, when you have a look at what's coming out of the housing market, even after two weeks of lockdown, it's pretty encouraging for property owners. So we got numbers this morning from CoreLogic, uh, which show that values rose at a rate of 1.6% in August. Now, that is down from 1.8% in July and a high of just over 3% in April. But it still means annualised right now, the housing market is still growing at double-digit rates. Now, why is that? Because we obviously haven't had any interest rate cuts in recent uh, months. In fact, the talk has been about interest rate hikes. And there's certainly plenty of housing supply coming into the market. We got numbers yesterday showing over 42,000 houses consented in the last year. In fact, the house building rate in Auckland of 11 per thousand people is right up there with the sorts of levels we saw for long periods through the 50s, 60s and early 70s in New Zealand. And that's the first time we've seen that in Auckland. Nationally, the uh, build rate of 8 per thousand is still not quite as high as it was in the 50s, 60s and 70s, but it's certain there's plenty of new housing coming onto the market. The trouble is it's not being listed or it isn't being listed at the rates to meet the demand from buyers. And uh, CoreLogic is saying they are seeing plenty of demand from buyers, uh, but not nearly as much supply. And in today's Dawn Chorus, you'll see a chart showing the amount of appraisal uh, inquiries by agents of the system that CoreLogic has, and they have uh, slumped as they did during the first lockdown. Now, we've heard also from Tony Alexander. He surveyed over 350 real estate agents on August the 21st. So that's obviously a week into the lockdown. And he found that they are reporting sentiments virtually unchanged, but they are seeing um, a significant drop in the number of listings. So that's the main concern of agents. I suppose you could say that's always their main concern, but significantly there is a real drop in uh, listings, but also an increase in reports of what they call FOMO, fear of missing out. And that's on both sides of the market, remember. If you're a seller and you're worried about missing out on the next 20%, you obviously hold back from putting your house on the market. What this all means is that um, COVID, uh, COVID uh, is expected to 
increase prices, at least in the short term, because of this lack of supply on the market. Also, buyers have plenty of cash, some of it actually coming from the government in the form of that uh, $1.25 billion worth of cash come through in the last couple of weeks. And uh, we've heard from real estate agents that there is still plenty of demand out there for for housing. So the question is, um, sure, this might uh, boost demand in the short term and uh, you see a shortage of supply of listings up for sale in the short term. But what happens longer term? CoreLogic is saying that uh, because uh, they expect interest rates to rise later this year and the Reserve Bank has obviously reimposed the LVR restrictions, that there aren't the, isn't the same uh, push upwards on prices that we saw in the last year when house prices rose unexpectedly by 30%. I think that's worth challenging. Firstly, it does depend on what happens to interest rates. Now, at the moment, most people still expect the Reserve Bank to put up interest rates in October and November. I think that is still in doubt given the length of the lockdowns we're having and the slowdowns we're seeing in international markets. And uh, also there is a chance that the Reserve Bank doesn't impose yet more restrictions on lending through debt to income multiples. So um, I think there is a significant uh, chance of a 10 to 20% rise in house prices in the next year. As we see, um, again, shortages of listings on coming onto the market. And it's interesting that the real estate agents are reporting that first home buyers um, uh, flooded in in that first week of the lockdown. Got to remember, too, that people who are buying houses typically have plenty of equity from other houses they have, which has gone up not just 30% in price, but lots more if they're leveraged. And... Um, uh, of course, many who missed out in the last year are not going to take the assurances of people that house prices are going to flatten or fall because they've been burnt too many times. So I think there's a significant risk of another rise in house prices. And you've got to remember that there is an awful lot of cash around. You know, we talk about how times are tough for many businesses, but when you actually look at the numbers involved in how much money is in their bank accounts, there has been a significant amount of cash that has pumped into uh, bank accounts in the last uh, year or so, uh, in fact over the last two years really. When you have a look at the Reserve Bank figures showing what's happening with um, uh, amounts in term deposit accounts, uh, you can see that uh, in uh, non-financial business accounts, so that is not banks, but actual businesses, their term deposits were sitting at $110 billion at the end of July. To give you a comparison, in July 2019, well before the COVID lockdowns, they were sitting at $87.1 billion. So they're up $23 billion in the last two years. And household um, term deposits, they're currently sitting at $206.2 billion. That is up from $181.7 billion two years ago. So what that says is households, and they typically own uh, property, their cash on hand, their savings, if you like, have gone up $25 billion in the last two years. And non-financial businesses, so business owners who typically also own property as well, their, uh, their uh, cash on hand has risen $23 billion. So 23 plus 25 
<laughs> got $48 billion extra in cash in the economy. And the government's just given them another $1.25 billion. So don't be surprised if it's deployed into the housing market. Now, what else is happening this morning that uh, you should know about on the global stage? Well, firstly, on COVID, I mean, good news yesterday for New Zealand, under 50 new cases. That's the second day in a row there's been a fall. So it looks like we're getting on top of it with a very hard and uh, sharp lockdown, but it's obviously a lockdown in Auckland that's going to go on for a couple of weeks. Then you'll have another couple of weeks of level three, so in theory, by the time we're out of it, we're well into September, if not October, and no doubt there'll be some hiccups along the way. And I very much doubt any of us will be in level one again this time, this this uh, by the end of the year. And that's obviously a concern for the economy and one of the reasons why I think it's unlikely you're going to see big rate hikes in the next couple of months. So, um, what else is happening on the international stage? Well, um, you remember everyone's worried about inflation overseas. Well, they had been earlier this year. Not so much at the moment, although signs from the European Union that inflation is picking up. They got numbers out uh, last night showing that European Union or Euro area inflation went up to 3% in August. That's a 10-year high. Uh, It was higher than expected and up from 2.2% annual rate in July and um, there are there is renewed talk that the European Central Bank might uh, dial back its money printing we'll see it's interesting that the German 10-year Bund yield you know how I love to talk about the German 10-year Bund yield well um, it did rise so the interest rate rose by six basis points to minus 0.38 percent that's one uh, heck of a um, negative real yield, actually. Uh, if you've got 3% inflation and your government bond yield is at minus 0.38%, that is some indication of how much pain people are willing to take because they fear the future or they're too old to take any risk. Okay, what else is happening in the global economy? U.S. consumer confidence, that fell to a six-month low in uh, August. Again, Delta is is really hurting things there. But if they own homes, they're pretty happy too because the U.S. house price index rose 18.6% in June from a year ago. That is a 30-year high in house price inflation and up from 16.8% in May. You've had 13 consecutive months where house prices have accelerated in America. Remember, $11 trillion worth of money printing will do that, very similar to what we're seeing here. Uh, Money's being printed and put into hard assets and values have gone up, but not necessarily being invested in new real businesses or new real jobs at a great rate. Elsewhere in China, keep an eye on this. Um, they've obviously had that uh, their own little Delta outbreak in August, and that has shut down a bunch of things. Looks like they've squashed it, but it has slowed down their economy. Their second largest container port's been closed for a few weeks. That's causing mayhem on the global shipping scene. But also, uh, that's also affected their factory output. So barely expanding in August, and their services um, output actually fell. No one's saying that China's going into recession or everything. They've got GDP growth of still over 6% in the second half of this year. But um, just worth keeping an eye on what's happening in China. Interestingly, on the other side of the coin out of China, uh, if you own a tonne of aluminium, literally a tonne, you're getting 
a 10-year high price for it at the moment, $2,727 US per tonne. So that's fantastic news if you're a worker at TY Point. They are minting cash right now, Rio Tinto at TY Point, using power at a third of the price that the rest of us pay for it to uh, pump out um, renewable aluminium into the market and make lots of profits. Now that's great for Rio Tinto shareholders and of course those workers at Bluff, but it's a problem for us if we want to use that power. Remember 13% of our capacity goes into Bluff, uh, use that power to um, uh, essentially shift our transport fleet and other things uh, to electricity that's created renewably rather than from coal because we we burnt a million tons of coal last year. And one of the reasons the aluminium price has jumped is because China is trying to reduce its carbon emissions. And of course, um, they have a particular issue where they burn coal to create electricity, which is then used to refine uh, alumina into aluminum. And that process of refining aluminum also produces extra carbon emissions on top of the coal, the coal used to burn to, to create the power. And so they're looking to dial back some of their carbon emissions, and that's reduced supply of refined aluminium onto the market. Also, that's in the Guangxi province, where they're looking to cut back their emissions. And in the Yunnan province, which is uh, also in the southwest um, neighbouring Guangxi, they're, um, they're not producing as much uh, hydroelectric electricity to fuel their aluminium smelters because they have had a drought. So the irony in all of this that a drought caused by climate change is forcing a reduction in aluminium production in China. Policy change in China to reduce carbon emissions to try and deal with climate change is reducing production of aluminium in China. But in New Zealand, we are going to continue producing aluminium from our renewable energy which makes it harder for the rest of New Zealand to reduce its emissions because prices will be higher and their electricity won't be available. It's a tough old world when you're trying to reduce carbon emissions. Uh, elsewhere in the um, business scene look out for um, a company called Evergrande. Uh, it is the world's most indebted property developer. It's a Chinese company and it's talking overnight about a potential default on its debt. Uh, there's been um, some interesting shenanigans in the Chinese debt market in the last few weeks around a company called Huarong, which was really, really big and seen as too big to fail. Eventually, the Chinese government bailed it out, and it will be interesting to see what it does with Evergrande. There's some talk that the Chinese government will let it go, and that could cause some uh, grief on financial markets if that happens, because there's quite a few international investors who have lent Evergrande lots of money for all of those um, apartments that are shells in China. They've been built and no one's living in them. Also overnight, good news um, for Tim Brown, the former All White, who has uh, um, just announced that his company, All Birds, you know, the um, sustainably produced um, running shoes or walking shoes that all the tech billionaires wear, uh, it's filed for an initial public offering, a float on uh, US, the US stock market. It was worth a US dollars, uh, US $1.7 billion last year when it raised some money. And we'll see how much it's worth when it floats. Some, um, also some M&A news out of Australia again. Uh, the Australian is reporting that Ampol, remember that's the company that's bidding for Z Energy, is also interested in bidding for Meridian uh, Energy's Australian um, 
uh, assets. So they they include some renewable, uh, some wind wind generation, and also some retail electricity clients through PowerShop Australia, which uh, Meridian, which of course is fifty one percent owned, it owns the Manapuri power station, fifty one percent owned by the state. Uh, it is selling about a billion dollars worth of assets in Australia. And uh, also in the COVID news front, just to keep an eye on what's going on out there, um, Victoria, this is interesting, Victoria, the state of Victoria, announced overnight that they are giving up on elimination. They've had so many lockdowns over the last year and a half, and various times they've got it down, they've squashed it. But uh, dozens of new cases yesterday, and for the first time, the Premier there is saying, well, we're never going to get it to zero, and we need to open up a bit. So um, we're starting to look a bit... Uh, alone here on elimination. Now you've you've still got Queensland and Western Australia who are going hard and early on elimination, but Victoria, uh, which was the biggest holdout against the New South Wales Scott Morrison push to open up, um, they have capitulated overnight. Uh, Also watch out for um, uh, news that um, Moderna's uh, vaccine remember we don't have that but Moderna's vaccine apparently produces double the amount of antibodies for COVID than the Pfizer vaccine that's worth looking at also worth looking at what's happening in Israel remember it was the first country to have a very high vaccination rate for Pfizer it did a deal with Pfizer to um, get hold of the vaccines early and effectively be a guinea pig for Pfizer and they got their vaccination rate up to 80% for adults but um, once they opened up, bang, the um, Delta outbreaks have really wrecked them. And uh, last night they reported over 11,000 new cases. Now, to put that in context, it has a population of 9 million. So that's um, less than double hours. 11,000 cases. Just imagine 11,000 cases in one day. Now, how is that possible? Well, it looks like the Pfizer vaccine is uh, waning in effectiveness um, because they were the first to have it and now they're looking to give third shots they've locked down in many places again but it's pretty much out of control there Um, it just goes to show with Delta how difficult it is to keep this blinking thing out even when you have a very very high vaccination rate in a much smaller case Iceland they have vaccination rates of over 95% and then they just chose to open up a bit. They still, um, you know, forced people to quarantine when they were coming in, but they had outbreaks in their first death earlier this week, uh, dozens of new cases coming through. So the point of all this um, uh, that's worth noting is that if we get over 90%, 95% by early next year, which we all hope we do, and then look at opening up, uh, having a bit more space in MIQ, um, uh, having uh, not, not having very widespread and very hard lockdowns if we get a few cases, it's going to spread pretty quickly. And um, there are going to be hospitalizations and worse. Uh, that will be an interesting moment um, come March to June next year when we have to make that call. Do we stick with elimination, uh, which means regular and very hard lockdowns, uh, unlikely to get down to level one again, simply because it's too risky with uh, one um, case coming through. And remember, every time you get one case in the community and you lock down hard, that essentially means um, at least a month in Level 4 lockdown for Auckland. That's our biggest regional economy and obviously um, at least a couple of weeks for the rest of the country. 
So um, the um, societal, um, political and economic pain by March, June next year will be um, extreme and the pressure on our elimination strategy will be enormous. No, I don't think anyone's sensible suggesting we get rid of it now. Of course, we need to get that vaccination rate up over 90 and, pro and hopefully even higher. But um, we certainly don't have the intensive care unit capacity to deal with the sorts of surges of cases that are projected. Remember the article that was recently published, which I'll link to in the Dawn Chorus, showing that even if New Zealand got over 90% vaccination rates and we had 10 cases a day coming through the border, which isn't far much lower than what we've had, with our very, even with our very restricted MIQ, then you would have, over a couple of years, over 500 deaths and thousands of uh, hospitalizations. Um, reports overnight that our emergency um, departments are already stretched. This is before massive um, COVID outbreaks. So it's going to be a really tough decision and um, nothing easy, no easy choices for the government to make and for the public to get their heads around. Because remember, New Zealanders are much more committed to uh, elimination than anyone else in the world. It's worked for us. We've used it. We believe in it, but Delta is putting it under enormous pressure. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was the Dawn Chorus for Wednesday, September the 1st. Kakite anō.